Welcome to the Success Agents Podcast, where we deliver weekly guests that bring insight to the elements of your business to become more profitable with skills and knowledge and tools help you with more automation so you have less procrastination with your host, J.P. Fluellen. Hey, what's going on, guys? J.P.'s back in the house. We are here with another episode of the Success Agent Podcast. Today, we have such a fantastic guest. This has been a long time in the making, um, probably going on nine months. Uh, we've got a great guest today, Ronnie Lopez. Um, he is a, an attorney and he has a practice that focuses primarily on transactional work, including contract drafting disputes, corporate and limited liability company law, real estate development, creditor's rights, and real estate planning administration. Ronnie has co-authored chapters in the professional publications on Wyoming law related to receivership, foreclosure, as well as covenant against competition. Ronnie is engaged and active in his community, Ronnie serves on the board of directors for the Cheyenne Leeds and is the secretary of the board of the Boys and Girls Club of Cheyenne. And Ronnie has served as many positions in church, including bishop of his ward, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And when not working, Ronnie enjoys spending time with his family, watching and playing all types of sports, hunting, fishing, and enjoying the outdoors. Ronnie, welcome, dude. I am excited about this. Uh, we had a little technical glitch there, but we got it figured out, I believe. So, so uh, let's just jump right in. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you're working on, uh, some fun things, and um, just let's jump into some fun stuff that hits home, like working with renters and landlord relationships. Sure, absolutely. And thanks for having me, JP. Um, you're right. It has been a long time. I'm glad we could finally sit down and do this. And uh, um, yeah, you know, our, our practice, um, it's uh, pretty diverse. Um, our firm, we do a little bit of everything. I suppose you've got uh, attorneys here that um, do primarily personal injury, uh, some attorneys that do only family law, um, and then some attorneys that do mostly transactional work, and I like me. And um, as far as, you know, what projects we have going on, there, there's a uh, a lot of diversity in, in that um, as well, you know, anywhere from the multi-million dollar transaction in Jackson, um, where we're in a local council for um, the main council who represents the buyer or the lender or what have you. And, you know, we review the documents, make sure they're comply with Wyoming law and, and help facilitate uh, the Wyoming aspects of the transaction um, all the way down to what you mentioned, you know, the landlord tenant situation. And I got a call yesterday about another um, potential eviction, you know, those are always hard. People are, um, looking to protect their rights, you know, of course, and, and, and they feel bad at times because they have a, a renter, um, and, and they feel bad affecting their, their, uh, ability to live and whatnot. But at the same time, you have to protect your asset. Um, you have to be able to make money yourself to make your payments. And so, um, you know, there, there's certainly a need and an importance to, uh, moving forward with with something like a forcible entry detainer or eviction action, um, I say or uh, because most people know it as an eviction. The the technical term for it is a forcible entry detainer. So, yeah, it's interesting. Like you know, everybody talks the the language, and sometimes they're they're meaning something, and they're actually saying something else. So you kind of have to you know 
it just all depends on who you're talking to. You're speaking French or German, you know, we're all talking and just depends on if we're speaking the right language. So those dang lawyers that create all this legalese, right? Oh you know? man. It's just like, dude, I don't know that big word. It's if it's got more than five letters, I don't understand what you're talking about. dude. <laughs> So uh, what do you see, what's one of the things you see quite often in terms of, uh, you know, I, I can only imagine you probably get some people that are, you know, trying to DIY their, you know, leases and then, you know, they have to go to court and you're just like, dude, I'm sorry, man. This is just a poorly written lease. I don't really know how this is going to hold up, dude. Cause this is, this is not good. You certainly, <laughs> you know, you certainly do have, have all sorts of things. I've seen a number of, of um, leases, all the, you know, from the, the three paragraph long to the 20 page lease for a simple residential thing. And it's, you know, neither of those are very um, helpful. I suppose, you know, the 20 page lease has so much stuff in it that, that is not necessary for, you know, that, that type of a residential transaction, you know, and the, th the three paragraph doesn't provide enough protections for the landlord typically and, and, and leaves a lot of uh, unknowns, um, a lot of things that, that um, are left to interpretation or unspoken, you know, um, and, and then it's, you know, hey, he told me this, no, no, I didn't say that, or yeah, I said that, but I didn't mean that, or, you know, and, and you get this back and forth with the, you know, the, the verbal, um, amendments if you will to that three paragraph uh, lease and, and it's better if it's all written out you know we've we've dealt with um one recently where um it was a family situation and it was it was a mess so they didn't have an actual agreement um and kids started trampling on on parents and not paying uh, rent was occupying multiple properties and it's <laughs> It, it becomes problematic. You know, the parents got to make the, the payments and, and still meet their obligations. And, um, it's a, it's, it's a, it can be, it can be problem, um, problematic for sure. Especially you get to the, um, point where you're trying to enforce rights and well, what really was the rent obligation? Well, we've got the history of what they've paid and, you know, then you've got an argument that, well, I was paying more than just rent. I was, you know, helping mom and dad, or I was doing whatever it was. And then this really wasn't rent or, um, you know, they told me I, I didn't have to pay rent or, you know, whatever it is, the, that argument. Um, and, and it, it, um, becomes hard to, um, harder, I should say, to, to point to, um, what exactly those terms were. Um, the other thing too, it, that was unique about that situation and it's, it's, uh, opened my eyes somewhat. Um, they, we got to the hearing on that, you, you know, in a normal forcible lending detainer, uh, proceeding you've got a renter who hasn't paid their rent, you have to post a notice, um, it's a notice to quit. It provides 72 hours for the tenant to, to vacate the property. If they haven't vacated the property, you can move forward with filing that complaint, that forcible entry and detainer complaint and have that served. That hearing is anywhere from 10 to 14 days from the time you, you file. Um, and then typically at that hearing is when it's, it's a, uh, mini trial, if you will, it's your opportunity to, to convince the judge or, or show the judge why uh, you're in the right and why the tenant should, should uh, vacate. Um, or conversely, the tenant can convince the judge why they're, they haven't violated the lease and why they should stay. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a very quick summary proceeding and it's designed um, to um, you know, move things along in a very expeditious fashion. The this this one that we uh, didn't have an actual agreement we get to the actual uh, hearing and 
the tenant, the, the kid in this situation, demanded a jury trial. And um, the judge allowed it. And so it kicked it out another three to four months, you know, to, to be able to set the, a, a schedule for a full jury trial and, and get the tenant, um, um, you know, to be able to panel a jury and whatnot. And that tenant gets to, to stay in the property during that whole time. And so, you know, wow. we, we've... Uh, we started, uh, as, as I think you know, we, we started in our lease agreements, including that uh, waiver of a jury trial so that, um, you know, landlords aren't stuck in that situation. Uh, so, you know, there's certainly things that we can protect against in a, in a situation where we prepare, um, you know, a, a lease that, that covers um, what that landlord intends to have covered. Man, that, that's insane. Over like a thousand bucks a month or something. To have a jury trial you know easy for that dude yeah that's yeah wow that's the first time i've heard of that one and it might have been just because there was no paperwork that the judge allowed it you know maybe well the statutes allow for for uh, um, probably it could be surprising i guess to some but the statutes allow for these to be heard by a jury but you know the as far as the the timing of that request or that demand being made it, it seemed a little late but the judge you know they judges oftentimes will um provide some flexibility so nobody can argue that they didn't get their due process rights they didn't get their day in court they weren't allowed yeah you know, they weren't not allowed to, to um make the arguments that they wanted to make and then they were heard by the the system and so um I think I think even if we had something in writing, if they didn't have that waiver of the jury um, right, they would have still been able to do that. So that's why you know, in any lease I draft now, I, I include that um, waiver um, just to to hopefully help in that in that event that it happens again. Well, and it, it, yeah, I guess it sounds like too. It wasn't as clear cut as just they didn't pay. You know, I mean, true you, enough. True enough. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, uh, what, what other topics do we deal with in real estate, uh, doing it, forming an LLC. So, um, you know, there's, I've heard many different ways to do an LLC. Like you can just go to the state website and then just file a hundred bucks and create an LLC. And then, you know, but then is it, is that, is that true? Is that correct? Is, should you really seek legal advice when you're trying to form an LLC rather than just doing it the quick way or jumping on legal zoom? I'm sure you guys hear that all the time. What well, has made this on legal zoom? Yeah. And then there's that, you know? And so, um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it is true. You can form an LLC by, by paying a hundred dollars at the secretary of state filing your articles of organization and you have an LLC. Um, now, um, knowing all the ins and outs as to what you do with that LLC, how you can transact business and, and those types of things. Those are, those are always, um, um, things we hear about after the fact, of course, right. That, that, you know, somebody may not have been, it may not have been explained to that person. Um, they may not have, uh, had a full understanding of, of, um, what they need to do. And, and, um, so we, we do certainly, uh, hear about those in the legal zooms, um, are there and, and they do provide a service. Um, it, it, uh, in my opinion, isn't a very good service. Um, they, uh, it, it's, um, we, we've reviewed many agreements that have been prepared by LegalZoom, um, and other online entities like that. And they, they aren't complete. They sometimes contradict each other in the terms and it, it's, it's kind of 
almost comical that um, they per provide that product that isn't um, adequate or, or doesn't meet uh, what what should be provided. Um, so yeah, I, we would always recommend getting an, an attorney involved in uh, forming that LLC and preparing those documents. Um, you know, we we file LLCs and and it kind of as our basic service, we'll file an LLC, uh, form that that company through the Secretary of State site, and uh, produce a um, organization meeting minutes and an operating agreement. And those are the, the you know basic documents that um, are needed to get that LLC um, off and running in direction. Now the statute doesn't require somebody to have an LL, um, LLC operating agreement, um, but it does add legitimacy to the company. Um, and most banks anymore will require you to pro um, provide them with a copy of the operating agreement when you open a bank account. And so um, that's that's something that we'll, we'll provide as a matter of course. Um, the same as the articles? The operating agreement, the articles of organization, or is that something different? So it's something different. The articles of organization are is the document that gets filed with the Secretary of State. That's the, the public document um, that everybody can see, and it, it just provides some very basic information. The name of the company, mailing address, um, um, principal office address, those types of things to get the, the that everybody knows that this is a, an operating company. Um, puts everybody on notice, I, I should say. That operating agreement is the internal governing document for the operations of the company. And it's the agreement between the members of the, of the LLC and the company itself, and uh, um, between members, between each other, of course. Um, and so that's the other two thing, too. When you have more than one member, um, you should always... Um, especially when they're not related, you know, that that's, well, <laughs> maybe even more so when they are related, right. um, you should get an attorney involved to make sure that everything's spelled out and, and that you know how you're going to operate business and what rights you have to your, um, your share of the, of the membership interests, who has the management authority, you know, is it going to be member managed or is it going to be a manner, manager managed, uh, relationship and, uh, all of that stuff is, is, um, clearly defined in a, in a nice operating agreement versus if you go and just file, you know, pay your filing fee and you don't have any agreement. Well then it's a, he said, she said, you know, what, what, it, what rights do I have? What percentages do I own? And, and, and all of that, um, um, can be, can be troublesome. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's not just, you know, it's, it's definitely complicated, especially, uh, as you probably are, are close to this one. Um, when you're, when you own a business and you're getting ready to sell it and you've got your name, your business name on other entities and like real estate, and then you're only selling a portion of that company and it's still in the name. Like you got to make sure that you have some, some instrument in place for instruction. So when you, when you're going to take care of that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, and you, you uh, have some rental properties and some investment properties and whatnot, and you have those, in uh, limited liability companies and uh, have you found that to be overly burdensome or, or problematic when you've tried to you know operate I guess or deal with uh, deal with tenants and whatnot um yeah uh, it, well because I believe in the in Wyoming if you have a, pro a property that's in an LLC then if you go to do an eviction you have to have representation 
That's true. That's true. Now, from a, from a, just a management standpoint, though, I mean, you you interact with those tenants the same way you would if 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 it oh, wasn't. Yeah, that doesn't change. The interaction doesn't change unless you just want to hire your own manager, and then you can just have them send them over instead of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And and outside of that, uh, I mean, you could do that as an individual too, though. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess the the main point there is that there's there's a little drawback in the day to day management of that company, but there's a lot of upside with with the liability protection, right? So you have a rental property. Um, that I would I would never own a rental property that isn't in an LLC, and and the reason is is if if something happens at that property, and they go to file suit, they're gonna they're gonna look to the owner. And they're going to name you personally in that lawsuit. Now you may have um, adequate insurance, and and you may not. You know, depending on what all happens. And and so, um, you know, to, to give yourself that that insulation or that um, uh, ability to to uh, use that LLC as as a shield um, from your personal assets and and having your personal name be be thrown out there in a lawsuit um, that that provides huge dividends, I think. And you're right. When you get to a court proceeding, like an eviction or something else, you do have to have an attorney um, represent that that entity. Yeah. And uh, for those of you that are, you know, have this happen frequently, I would suggest getting, um, if you're going to go have to do an eviction, work with an attorney that'll do a flat fee on that. Um, just because I think it's just cleaner. It's easier. You kind of know what your expenses are. And it, you know, and then that way, um, unless there's special circumstances, if it, you know, obviously if it turns into something much more than just showing up at court that day and, you know, the judge determines what's going on, you know, there's a flat fee for that service. But, uh, but if it turns into something where there's longer litigations involved, whether it's disputes on damages or, 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 you know, earnest money or not earnest money, but security deposits or whatever. And there's a, a longer dispute, obviously there's a different fee structure for that but if it's just a clean cut in and out type deal you know work with an attorney um hint hint that uh, does a flat fee for stuff like that so. <laughs> not that i've been down that road before i'm not gonna <laughs> confirm or deny whether i've been down that road before um well you brought up you brought up something else that, that i think is important for people with rental property to understand and to know um, you know, when you deal with security deposits, I don't think a lot of the, I don't think the average landlord realizes their obligation with those security, security deposits to at the termination of the lease. Um, by statute, they have, um, a landlord has 30 days to either return the security deposit or provide um, in writing the reasons um, or the amount that was withheld and the reasons for that um, uh, withholding of the security deposit. If, the, if that isn't provided within that, that time frame. And the tenants um, entitled to a return of the full security deposit. And so, you know, there are things that, are, that uh, I think it's helpful to get an attorney on your team um, when you're, um, you know, when you're starting out or whether you're rental um, already, but to get an attorney on your team that, that is familiar with uh, you and your lease and your process and, and that can help provide some pointers and some guidance along the way. Um, I have one client who has a number of rentals and has had a number of rentals for years. And, and um, that individual continues to try to do their evictions on their own, even though it's, you know, held in, a, in an LLC. And every time they, they have to call me back up and say, well, I started this eviction. I said, why don't you call me from the get go? You know, we could, um, you know, uh, it, it helped help 
it helps when when uh, when you keep your your lawyer fully informed, and and it usually doesn't doesn't cost um, a whole lot or anything to to simply uh, you know provide some simple updates to the attorney and let them know that you've got something coming up and um, you know that attorney can can uh, can certainly help uh, and hopefully save you money in the long run yeah and I mean from my understanding and we didn't talk about this before the show started but um, you can usually get a, an attorney on retainer for a minimal cost depending on what it is for a minimal cost because if you're only using them two or three times a year for some questions. I mean, dude, it's worth it. Like, you know, Netflix for realtor or for, uh, for <laughs> pay, pay the monthly fee, dude. Like, so, I mean, really like a hundred bucks a month, 200 bucks a month to just have to be able to just call somebody and get those questions answered, you know, without having to, um, you know, have to, to just sit there and be like, well, it sounds okay. Go ahead and put that in there or, or, or whatever, you know, or maybe I should. Yeah. Well, you know, if I need an attorney, we'll figure it out later. Like, okay, that was the red flag right there that probably said probably should make that call, you know, because absolutely, absolutely. You start well. telling yourself that <laughs> if I need an attorney later, <laughs> we'll figure it out. You know, there are so many times where you know we have people come in after they've signed an agreement or when something's gone wrong and they say hey I can you look at this agreement and tell well yeah I can but it's not gonna do you any good at this point yeah I can tell you what your obligations are um, but you're stuck right and and um, I think I think it pays uh, again dividends you know to, to um, get an attorney involved at the, at the initiation of a, of a deal of a, of any kind of a contract to make sure that you a understand what you're signing and, and B that your rights are protected. You know, um, I, I had somebody come in, um, actually just yesterday about a, a non-compete or a, it wasn't, it wasn't a non-compete. It was, there was a non-compete clause stuck within, um, this uh, independent contractor agreement they signed and, you know, said, oh, I, I just quit and I need to know what my rights are, my obligations. And we looked at it and said, you're, you're stuck for a year. You can't do this kind of business. Well, this is my livelihood. And I said, I, you know, I hear you and I'm really sorry, but um, you signed this, this document that has this um, provision in it. And, and unfortunately that's, that's uh, you're bound by it. So, um, you know, it's always, it always, it's always helpful. I think in, in, in the end, um, you know, to, to make sure that you have, uh, um, someone explain to you what, what you're getting into. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that's over, you know, two or three paragraphs, that's not in plain English. You probably should make the call. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, well, I mean, what other, what other issues what? or pitfalls have you seen? JP? Um, oh, I, no. what other issues or pitfalls have you seen in dealing with, the? Uh, tenants and, and renters and in your in your experience um so one of the pitfalls that i've gotten into is the the line between um if like if you have a property that has an issue that's borderline whether it's a health and safety issue or not and then whether or not you're actively trying to remedy that and whether or not the tenant should have temporary exterior housing for a period of time. And I ran into that one and I was like, well, 
you know, just because the house smells like poop does not mean that it's a health and safety <laughs> issue if we're actively working on the issue and mitigating the, you know, seriousness of the situation. And, you know, and I had a lady, I, I told her, I said, you know, the house isn't burning down. It's not a CO issue that we're, we're having it actively being worked on until the, the permanent fix can be done. Yeah, I'm sorry. It sucks. It stinks. Yeah, I get it. But you know, if you live next to the refinery, it stinks too. So, you know, I was just kind of like one of those things where I'm like, I, it, we haven't created a health and safety issue. We don't have, you know, refuse pouring out all over the house or anything like that. It was not nothing like that. And um, she was just telling, trying to tell me that she didn't want to be in there while it was doing that. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Like it's already costing me X, Y, Z per day to deal with the situation when I can get a permanent fix I will definitely do that but I had to wait it was like a Thursday to a Monday and we just we had to wait for a part to come in and to get the situation taken care of and she was just demanding some other kind of remedy remedy yeah and I was like you don't have to live here it's your choice I mean it says (laughs) in there in the lease that if there's a situation that becomes you know I think it was the rights to you know, if they didn't like this fix or whatever it was, and it came down to um, where we just didn't come to an agreement on that, I gave her the option to opt out if she wanted to, and she chose not to, so she still lives there. Well, see that, and 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 that's a that's a reasonable thing, you know. If you gave her the ability to to move on to something else, you know, then then you know certainly she's she had uh, um, she had the right to to either stay there or not. And, um, but you know, you, and, and you're definitely right with a, with respect to a landlord has the, the duty to provide, um, a unit that's habitable, right? Habitability or tenantability is what, what they call it. And, and, uh, those, those, um, those are some basic fundamental rights, you know, in our climate, uh, a unit has to have heat, right? Um, there has to be running water, a toilet, you know, things like that, that, that make something livable. Um, if, if there's a problem that, that, that arises and you're working to fix it like that, where you, you know, it's, it's a couple of days of, of delay, as long as the unit is habitable, then, then, you know, you're right. There's, there's really not, um, there's not, not a lot you can do, especially if you've given them the ability to terminate the lease and, and move on to something else. And so, um, Sounds like you, you were, yeah. and it was habitable. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, she had running water, heat, you know, mm-hmm. all, all, all the things, you know, she just didn't like the smell, you know, like go for a walk. I mean, <laughs> it's fresh air. Like seriously. <laughs> um, so on, on the, on that note, um, let's move on to, uh, creative financing. So like, I know sometimes in real estate situations, you know, we got buyers that may have bad credit and they, they need to get creative um, with putting deals together or, you know, they find out that they're short at the table for the difference for some funds. You know, what, what are some people's options in terms of like trying to get deals done that may, may be outside the box? Absolutely, and and uh, that, those are those are definitely situations where you probably want to get uh, a lawyer involved. Um, it's a little bit outside the box. It's it's a little different than your traditional. Um, you know, here's your contract. We entered into an agreement, and we're going to move forward to closing. And how a company can handle the closing and all of that that stuff. But um, 
anytime that you're outside of that that normal box, I, I think it, it is helpful to have a, uh, an attorney involved, especially um, just to to understand what the different options are. And you know, in that creative finance world, you have a couple of different options, I suppose. Uh, contract for deed is one of the the common ones. Um, um, I don't love those as much um, from either side of the buyer or the seller. And I think, um, you know, the seller certainly has a lot more um, rights with with the contract for deed. If the if the buyer misses a payment at all, then uh, the seller can call a default and, and pull the contract and and take the property back. Um, you know, of course, that that requires court intervention to do that, and that that process is expensive and takes time. Um, conversely, you know, the seller or excuse me, the buyer is in that property, has rights to that property, and and um, they may get in a situation where they create liens um, on the property, be it mechanics liens or something else, um, and then you, as the owner, are then stuck with that if you take the property back. Um, I I prefer doing a note and mortgage type arrangement where um, the seller actually deeds the property to the buyer and then takes a, a note, a promissory note and, and a mortgage on the property, just like you, if you, as if you were the bank, um, that provides a lot of, of um, flexibility in, in the structure. It allows you to provide um, that either that gap in financing or that the full finance of the, of the purchase price um, and uh, provides you the, some protection with respect to, to uh, being able to foreclose on, on the, the unit if, uh, or the property, excuse me, if, uh, if the seller, if the buyer doesn't, doesn't fulfill their obligations to the seller, um, you know, and, and in that foreclosure, um, when you foreclose any junior liens get wiped out. So, you know, those mechanics liens, anything else that might get put on the property, you as the owner of the, or, or the person retaking the property as the seller, um, you're able to protect that asset, I think, a little more fully in, in that in that regard. And so, I really think that note and mortgage is a stronger um, uh, avenue, is a better avenue, uh, stronger document for um, that type of an arrangement. It's cleaner. It's cleaner at the end when 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 everything hits the fan. It's cleaner. It's like you just draw that line, and then person takes possession back, and then off and running again. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it, it, there is a process to it, but you don't have to involve the courts. You can do a non-judicial foreclosure by advertisement and sale. There's a little bit of expense with, with getting the foreclosure um, underway, but it's, it's a lot less than, than filing suit and, and having a, a buyer contest that suit, especially when they have a significant amount of money sure. um, rolled into it when, if they've, you know, paid um, a lot of payments under a contract for the type arrangement. So. Gotcha. That's some new information on, on that process that I was unaware of. So you don't have to go by the, if you do a, a personal note and mortgage, then do you have to go through the 90 days of them right of redemption period then? Yep. You do have that, that redemption, right? You do have that. So, so, you know, that adds some time to it for sure. They, they always have that right of redemption, but, um, but you know, that also provides them an opportunity to um, maybe go get traditional financing if they can or financing somewhere else and pay you off, which was your goal in the first place, right? Was to get, yeah, get your money. Absolutely. So Nice. Okay. Well, we'll just end on this last uh, topic is 1031 exchanges. So tell us a little bit about those. 
Sure. Um, you know, I, and I know the basics of 1031s. Um, I uh, um, um, know enough to be dangerous, so to speak, on those. But uh, <laughs> um, the 1031 uh, is a great process if you want to defer your, your um, you want to defer capital gains taxes. Um, it's a, a way that you can take your investment and continue to reinvest it. Um, you know, if you're wanting your money out, if you're wanting to be done with, with investing, then obviously a 1031 is not for you. If, if it's just, you know, I'm, I'm done, my use for this prop, property is over and I, you know, want to reinvest that into a different kind of property, um, then, then that's a, a great avenue to, to use so you, you can defer those taxes. Um, until later on the it's it's always it's something that needs to be planned um, people think that you know hey I've got this this property that was a rental I just sold it now I want to put it in something else well it's too late you know once you've already gone through and, and done that for sale um, the 1031 is is off the table really you 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 have to have an intermediary a um, disinterested media inter intermediary so it can't be you know the attorney that you've used before or the accounting firm that you've used before um, to provide advice to you um, you you always have to have a disinterested intermediary that um, essentially holds the funds um, from the sale and and reinvest those on your behalf into the the new purchase um, although the intermediary holds the funds they are not involved in the chain of title so the 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 contract that you have for the sale of your house gets assigned um or your property excuse me i should say it gets assigned to uh, the intermediary and, and same with the contract for the replacement property gets assigned to the intermediary but that agreement provides that the um that the deeds go directly from you know seller to buyer and and from um you know, buyer to you know, you know that kind of an arrangement uh, for the for both the current property and the replacement property. The other thing that uh, I think some people don't realize is that um, in a 1031 exchange, your debt and equity have to be the same on a replacement property as the current property. So if you go to sell your property or more, right? Or, or yeah, exactly, or more. exactly, yeah. Yeah. Like, or more. Yep. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Um, you know, some people think, well, I'm going to sell this property, pay off my debt, and then reinvest these funds into the replacement property. Well, that doesn't that doesn't really work, and you're not going to save the capital gains taxes that you think you're going to. I think there still will be some savings, but but it will not um, fully prevent the the full you know capital gains um, uh, tax from from hitting. So interesting. So yeah, those are those are all all good things. So if you're listening today. And you, you know, ask that yourself that question, you know, well, if I need an attorney, you know, call Ronnie because he'll help you out. So, dude, this has been fun. There's so many. We didn't even get a chance to hit hardly half the stuff that we were going to talk about today. <laughs> but, uh, but we'll definitely have to do well, this again and hit we'll some have to do crazy, crazy topics, you know, that we had on our list here. So, um, you guys, if, if you... Uh, if people want to get hold of you, Ronnie, where where can people reach out to you? Sure, absolutely. I appreciate the the plug, JP. Um, our number three zero seven six three eight seven seven four five. Great place to call. My email is Ronnie at performance dash or hyphen law dot com. Awesome. Well, man, I appreciate your time. 
look forward to doing this again soon, not nine months from now. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we will uh, we will definitely uh, chat soon. And uh, let me see here. Let me cue my outro music here. So there we go. Well, thanks again, guys, for joining another episode of the Success Agents Podcast. And we will catch you guys all on the next episode. Bye now.